Um, there's one quote out there that I love. I, I don't know who came up with it, but you know, the market sinks to the uh, the collective psychology of the market sinks to the level of the dumbest participant. <laughs> so, and and you look at it and say, who buys SPCE? From Tim yesterday at $35 a share when he just bought it at 28 on Friday. <laughs> Who are these people buying up here? Where do they come from? Where do they keep coming up with money? But it's, it's the emotional aspect. And if you try too hard to, uh, you know, put logic, my, my wife says this, uh, I shouldn't say this about my kids sometimes, uh, <laughs> when they annoy me, um, you know, don't try to apply logic where none exists. <laughs> uh, you're listening to the Steady Trade Podcast, a podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up-and-coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. All right. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. Um, we are continuing the book club. You know, I um, everyone knows that listens to the podcast. You know, Kim and I are, are both avid readers. Stephen reads a comic book from time to time, but but he has read <laughs> some some trading books. But, uh, you know, you know, one of the questions I get the most, because, you know, I post a lot of links to books and stuff like that. So people are always like, hey, what's your, what's your favorite trading books? What's your best trading books? And today we have, in my opinion, the best book I've ever seen when it comes to, you know, the technicals. It's particularly support resistance you know multi you know uh, multiple how to use multiple time frames you know we're all looking at the daily chart the intraday chart the five year chart and trying to find you know something in there and there's a million trading books out there and i've read hundreds maybe thousands but so many of them are you know a, a, there's a lot of like psychology there's a lot of like the thought process behind trading which is great but I consider technical analysis using multiple time frames by Brian Shannon. It is like, to me, it's like the, it's, it's like the technical manual. You know, it's like, it's one thing to read abstract stuff. What I love about this book is it really gets into the nitty gritty. And, um, you know, I buy a lot of books. I bought this a couple months after it was released and I still keep it. I, 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 I and I still refer to it. I, I purge a lot of books cause I get, I give them away, but I still have this thing 11 years later, 10 years later, and I'm excited to welcome Brian Shannon to the podcast, the author of this book. Um, I've followed Brian on Twitter again for a decade long or longer and, uh, you know, just never met him in person, but I've watched his videos and, and just, you know, a really knowledgeable and a really great guy. So welcome, Brian. Well, thank you, Tim, man. That was unbelievably kind introduction there. I appreciate it and glad that you find uh, the book to be as useful as it has over the years. So thank you. So if you don't, if you, if you oh. don't mind, you know, Kim and Steven are here as well. Um, just to kind of get us started, you mind, you know, I know you've been in this game a while and uh, you mind just kind of giving us a, a little bit of just for the listener, like what's your bio, you know, particularly related to trading? What's, what's your history, I guess? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it started actually at a young age. My dad was a, uh, a stock market uh, investor. And uh, when I was, I think, maybe 12 years old, uh, maybe 13, um, I had heard of this stock called Lojack. Uh, you know, I'd watch Wall Street Week with my dad uh, every Friday. I didn't really know what they were talking about, but it was just an opportunity to sit next to him and uh, hang out and, and learn. Uh, and anyways, Lojack, I said to my dad, listen, you know, this seems like a pretty good idea. It was $5 a share, and I think I had, uh, you know, $1,000 or so saved up. He said, we'll buy a 1,000 shares. You put up your $1,000, I'll buy a 1,000 shares. And basically, I didn't realize I was getting such good leverage or what that meant. And I didn't even think about it going down, but it doubled in about six months. And, you know, here I am, a young kid. I just made five grand. I was like, <laughs> let's sell it, you know? So I was basically hooked and, you know, realized at that point or thought I wanted to be a stockbroker because that's what stockbrokers do, I thought. Well, I graduated college, went on to be a stockbroker and realized it was a glorified telemarketing position. Um, so I, I did that for a number of years, but then uh, moved out to Denver from Boston and, uh, you know, did finally start as a trader with a company called Generic Trading. They used to advertise in the back of the investor's business daily. If you have $25,000, we'll give you $250,000 worth of buying power. So I started trading that way and, you know, built a little bit of education, you know, a couple of years after that, worked with a company called MarketWise. Head, uh, headed up their education department and uh, just been, you know, markets kind of in my blood, I guess. I just can't, you know, seem to, to kick it. I don't want to either, though. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell. So I've been trading in, you know, my own money and, and other people's money at time. I had a small hedge fund for a while. I had a uh, an account with the World Cup Advisors people uh, where I traded, you know, in a public forum, basically. And here today, I continue to trade on a daily basis. It's kind of slowed down a little bit in terms of, you know, trying to be a day trader. Here I am, 52 years old now, and don't want to sit there and, you know, scrap for every movement. But, uh, uh, you know, so it's it's kind of back to where I started, which was more of a swing trader's approach. You know, Brian, I was so I was so intimidated by this book cover. I was afraid to read it. It sat in my living room for. And I just walked past on the coffee table saying, nope, I'm not ready. And I am blown away at how the, there's just, I don't, I don't feel there's any jargon in there. I feel like, you know, it it has been so incredible for me to read it and be understanding like things that Stephen and Tim, as they teach me, are using certain languages and certain phrases. Everything in your book is teaching me what those phrases mean. So now I feel like when I listen to them, I know what they're talking about. So I'm madly in love with your book and I'm so excited because I feel, oh my God, I do understand this stuff. (laughs) I don't think I would be able to understand it. So I think what I'm curious about is when you wrote this book, were you intentionally trying to not use jargon? I mean, I know you're using technical terms, but there's, there's something about it that just feels like it's just, for anybody who is a beginner, they're going to be able to absorb uh, really big concepts in a very simple way. And that is, a, I think, a very hard thing to succeed at. So were you motivated to talk to people like me that are beginners? Were you talking to people that are like Stephen, who's been in the game for three years? Like, who, who was it you were writing it for? And how did you do such a good job? <laughs> Again, thank you. Um, it was intentional. In fact, um, 
you know, I had written it at the time. My my two boys were uh, twelve and uh, ten and twelve years old, and and I thought I want to write something that they can read one day, and I don't want to confuse them, and I don't want to confuse the reader. When I was a retail broker, I worked at uh, Lehman Brothers in Boston for a while, and they had a little thing that uh, they would say, you know, your customers are like mushrooms, keep them in the dark and feed them shit. And, <laughs> oh, and that's I, awful. Oh, that's what I thought. I thought, well, this is awful. That's How can you do that? So I did, and, and, I, and I've read books that are kind of like that. I, you know, like, what's the point here? They're just filling this up with jargon and there's no real point. How do I use this information to make money? So I wanted to be a, make it more straightforward and not treat the customer like a mushroom, treat them with respect and talk to them in plain English so that they can understand it. And again, so, you know, my sons were there, were really the target market for it. Um, Unfortunately, it's not their passion, the market. That's fine. They've got their other things to do. But uh, I, I appreciate hearing that because I did t- you know, put a, a, a real effort into making it uh, easy to access for the you know, layperson, basically. You know, I, I, and, and I love that Kim said that because, you know, when I bought it, you know, I got, I got started actively day trading 2007, 2008-ish. You know, I don't remember the exact month, obviously, but right, right around the, you know, the, the collapse and Bear Stearns and all that stuff. And I must, you know, I see it was published in 2008. Maybe I even bought it in 2008. So whether it was 08 or 09, I was a complete newbie. And I was thinking about this last night. I still remember like reading this book. I, I, and, and because it was so easy for me to understand as that kind of newbie, and it just, and this is a corny anecdote, but I, I can, we, we've got in our house, we've got a, a bonus room that's kind of a reading area above the garage. And I just like last night, I was thinking about the podcast and I remember sitting there reading this book and just, and again, highlighting the heck out of it. I mean, I, if you're on YouTube, you can see I've got dog ears everywhere. I mean, every, I mean, I'm just randomly picking pages and I, I highlighted like half this thing. And I think that's, again, that's why I recommend it so much is, you know, you know, Kim is totally new to technical sure, analysis. The same tech. So. But, she, but she, get, she gets it, though, and that's the coolest thing. But uh, my, my main question is, uh, Brian, you wrote the book several years ago now. And, and what, what's amazing is that a lot of people say that uh, human behavior never changes, therefore the patterns never change. So do you feel that there's anything in the book that you've, that you've documented that, that is out of date now? You know, uh, that, that's a common question. And I, I really think that, you know, I, I, I hate to, I, I don't want to call it timeless because there's no such thing, but the concepts are still the same. It's human nature, as you mentioned, Stephen, that, you know, that drives the patterns. And if we can understand the psychology behind what happens in the cyclical flow of money through the market, then absolutely none of that has changed. The biggest change that I've made in my trading is to really uh, heavily incorporate the volume weighted average price much more since then. That's, that's the main thing that's changed. And that's basically um, due to the technology that I've, I've been able to get a number of trading platforms to, to use the, uh, to, to, to offer the anchored volume weighted average price and using that to really understand supply and demand. That's really the only thing that's changed, you know, since that time. 
Yeah, and when it comes to technical indicators, that's that's the only one I use is VWAP. So it's kind of cool to hear you say that for sure. So, Brian, can I ask you how long? So, so you 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 gave us some of your history. So, when you decided to do this full time, did, did you always do this full time? Did you ever have a side hustle? And were you? How long did it take you to become consistently, you know, profitable or just consistent enough? that you felt, okay, I've got this? Yeah, great question. You know, it's such a difficult uh, profession, Kim. Um, I started out, as I said, as a retail broker. And fortunately, you know, the the customers didn't realize this, but I kind of got to practice with their money. (laughs) Not with day trading, of course, but I was pretty aggressive. I I was much shorter term uh, than what my uh, retail brokerage managers you know, thought was appropriate at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I came into trading with uh, a little bit of borrowed money even and leveraged that. And I had to be profitable right away. So I, I have a really strong um, risk management philosophy because I, I couldn't, you know, af- afford drawdowns. So fortunately for me, that worked well to my advantage. One of my biggest, you know, um, uh, uh, downfalls or, or you know uh, weaknesses, I guess, is that I generally sell too early, and and that's just you know because I I'm I'm willing to ring the register and not let go of profits. Um, but so I you know as far as a side hustle, yeah, I mean I've I've had uh, I I do have you know AlphaTrends.net, which is a subscription service. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't turn that on until you know it, what it, when I got on uh, uh, my. Um, when I started alphatrends.net, I used to look at my audience and, and, you know, daily visits. And I said, well, once I get to 500 daily visits, I'll, I'll start, uh, you know, charging. And then it was a thousand, then it was, you know, 5,000. And finally Howard Lindzen from StockTwits approached me and said, Hey, Brian, you know, we'll provide all the back end, and wow. you just keep doing what you're doing. So I said, perfect, because that's really why I never started alpha trends is because I didn't want to deal with any of the back end nonsense. Um, so that's kind of, you know, and I have that now. I continue to do that to this day and help educate and, and give people trading ideas. So that's kind of a side hustle, I guess you could say, but it's yeah. you know, still directly related. But it is an additional source of income that's, uh, you know, it's always nice to have multiple income streams. How, how old were you when you started to become consistently profitable? Were, were, you, were you on your own? Were you married then? Did you have kids? Or were you already? I was, yeah. It, so when I started that account with generic trading, which is a, a, like one of the worst names ever for it. I know. I, I love that name. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I'd like to know who their head of marketing was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was 26 years old. I had been married for about, uh, I guess, a year and a half. And I had a six-month-old baby. Um, so oh. it, it was not – it's definitely not something I would suggest to anyone to do it that way. Yeah. Um, but it, but I wouldn't discourage them either because, mm. you know, if, if I hadn't done it, then when would I have? And, yeah. and you know, I didn't have much to lose at that point. Uh, so it, it made sense. And I was – you know, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I, I remember the, you know, the first, you know, 10 months – in a row, I was profitable, and they were, you know, eighteen hundred dollars, twenty eight hundred dollars, and you know, maybe a four thousand dollar a month where I thought I was really doing great. But uh, it was slow and steady, and and just building up over time. Did you have a support? Yeah. Uh, did you have support? Did you have a community? Did you have other 
you know, traders that you were talking to like in that year, as you were judging yourself, you know, where did you kind of lean in on? You know, actually I, I did not, uh, I didn't wow. have any, and, 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 you know, that, that's kind of my personality as well. So that's fine. Yeah. When I, yeah. when I do start, you know, looking at Twitter and, you know, turning CNBC on uh, one of my weaknesses, I've, I realized a long time ago is that I'll, you know, be bored. I'll turn the TV on and back, you know, back then it was, what was that guy's name? It was a Dan Dorfman would come out with some stock and say, you know, and, and, and I would just buy them, you know, as soon as somebody or, or Joe, Joe Kernan, I used to call him the Riddler. He'd say, you know, coming up after the break, there's a, uh, a rocket company that shares are taking off. So I, you know, punch up SPCE because knowing that he's going to talk about that and then I'd buy it, he'd talk about it, it'd jump a little bit and then I'd sell it. Um, but it wouldn't always work, of course. And I found myself being very emotional and, you know, jumping at perceived opportunities rather than playing my game, just waiting for my setups and not having to chase news and whatever is hot and whatever everyone else is talking about. Um, I, I, I just want to jump in because it's interesting that the book that we're reviewing is technical analysis over multiple timeframes. Um, what percentage of your game is fundamentals? Ooh, good question. Yeah, I mean, you know, I like to know a little bit about what the company is at least um, and, and what the driving psychology behind the, the move is. So, you know, what, you know, I, I mean, I know the tech, I, I know some of the fundamentals of Tesla, of course, everyone does or beyond meat, but, but if I'm really looking at fundamentals, um, they don't play a huge part in what I get involved in, but they do uh, play a little bit more of a role in how long I might be willing to, to hold something. So if I don't know anything about a company at all, it's just a stock that has a great looking chart and I play it, I, you know, I'll probably get out of that one quicker than something where I know a, a little bit about their fundamentals. I like to say, you know, I, I look at two things. One, are they selling more stuff? Two, are they making more money selling that stuff? Whatever it is. So re- increased revenues and increased earnings are the two, you know, main metrics I look at. I don't li- someone asked me the other day, how important is it to you? what percentage of uh, uh, shares are held by a fund. And I, I can't remember the last time I've ever looked at that. It's not important at all. To me, it's more important, hey, is there a big short position and they're underwater and, and maybe, you know, they're going to add fuel to this fire. More of the psychology of the, of the supply and demand is what it's all about. So uh, to answer your question, maybe, you know, 2 to 5%, uh, wow. but, it, but it's not anything – it's not a deciding factor ever. Price is always the deciding factor. Yeah, I've got a very, very similar approach. You know, like like you mentioned, SPCE. Um, you know, I like to, you know, I, I think, I, I don't want to, you know, speculate, but I think we have kind of similar approaches. You know, I, w- I want to know that, you know, Rich, obviously it's a Richard Branson company. I want to know that it's a buzzwordy thing, space, you know, all this stuff. And then, but then at the end of the day, all I really care is that, people are shorting this stock that's up from nine to 20 in a month because you know, it, it's, it's a bull, it's the bold, most bullish chart in the world. It traded what 30 or 40 million shares yesterday. That tells you that there's demand and there's a high likelihood that it's going to keep going. I, I'm, I'm not looking at, you know, I'm not digging into filings or any of that stuff. I don't really care at that point. 
104 million shares of traded yesterday. Was it right? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> How was yeah. the payoff? <laughs> we're, we're at 44 right now. It's yeah, crazy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, 30 million sounded like a lot, but I was only, I off, only off by a third. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the good thing is, you know, when you have a stock that that's liquid, uh, you know, the fundamentals don't really matter if you're, if you're trading. You can get in and out without a problem. So, you know, it's nice to know, but I remember when this stock just, you know, first came, I think it was a reverse merger even, and it was just a piece of garbage trading 30,000 shares a day. And this was what, maybe six months ago, I didn't really, back in, you know, maybe November, I guess, not even six months ago. Um, and now all of a sudden it's, it's just shows you how crazy the crowd can be. It's that one cartoon that you always see where there's the crowd of people and someone says, buy, and everyone says, buy, 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 buy. What? Sell. Mm -hmm. Everyone says, sell, sell, sell. And, you know, and that's all it really takes sometimes, especially in these highly speculative names to really get them moving in one direction or the other very quickly. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, again, you talk about, uh, and again, a similar approach. I'm notorious for selling early. I mean, I bought space on Friday at like 28, I sold it at thirty four fifty yesterday, you know, and it went to thirty nine like an hour later. But I'm just like, man, I got seven bucks a share on a twenty dollars stock. But that's the approach I've taken since I read your book, actually. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Brian, you have a quote from the book: "The market does not always move in a logical way because emotions play such a large role, and emotions are not random." So just speaking to just what you spoke to now, the crowd buy, sell, how much is that, does that quote still ring true for you now? And is the concept of the psychology of, you know, sussing out what the masses are going to do. You spoke to psychology over and over again in your book. So just talk a little bit about that and this quote. Yeah. I I mean, SPCE is a perfect example of a stock trading on emotion. I mean, the, the fundamentals haven't changed 150% 150% since the beginning of the year, but the stock price has. Is that reasonable? Is it rational? You can argue that all day long, but you know, one of the, one of the, the when, when you see a stock go and it, it keeps going, it keeps going. And you know, a lot of people who aren't used to trading stocks like this, they think, well, it's up too much. I'm going to short it. This is just stupid. It makes no sense. Um, there's one quote out there that I love. I, I don't know who came up with it, but you know, the market sinks to the, uh, the collective psychology of the market sinks to the level of the dumbest participant. <laughs> so, and, and you look at it and say, who buys SPCE from Tim yesterday at $35 a share when he just bought it at 28 on Friday? <laughs> who are these people buying up here? Where do they come from? Where do they keep coming up with money? But it's it's the emotional aspect, and if you try too hard to, uh, you know, put logic. My my wife says this. Uh, I shouldn't say this about my kids sometimes uh, when they annoy me. Um, you know, don't try to apply logic where none exists uh, about some of their decisions. Um, and and the same is true with 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 stocks. Who wants to buy, uh, you know, Tesla at nine hundred fifty dollars per share? Um, there's people out there. We can't argue the logic. We just look at it and say, price is truth. Only price pays. That's where I have to either, you know, just say, I'd rather be on the sidelines in cash wishing that I was in than being in and wishing I was out, uh, you know, or, or being, you know, being short, basically. Uh, it, you can look at it and say, this doesn't make sense. Fine. I just won't participate. But don't short it and try to fight the crowd <laughs> because, you know, you won't win. 
Um, one one point you made that uh, that I that I kind of that I wrote down and I thought of. You mentioned you know the getting the bug at twelve. Um, you know I I uh, I've told this story a million times, but I remember you know in in fourth grade because we were in a different house. I remember waiting for dad to bring home the newspaper, and I would look at tickers. Now my dad was a was a machinist. You know I you know I don't even know if he had a. 401k back then. I mean, well, he probably had some sort of pension, but I don't know where that came from. I didn't have any uncles. I mean, we're in a small town. I mean, I don't CNBC wasn't even around then, but I always gravitated towards the market for some reason. And now it sounded like your dad gave you a little bit of it, but how important do you think? I mean, it's kind of a weird question, but I feel like it was just in my blood and it kind of sounds like it was just in your blood. How important do you think that is? Do you, do you think that's a necessity for success over time to be doing something like you, you know, for a 25 year, 30 year career that you've had? I, I think it is important in, in any aspect of life that you, it, it's gotta be, you know, my sister was, you know, for, from a young age, she was, drawing constantly and she was just into art and you know my parents gave her art classes they put me in the art classes too and I just didn't care I was not interested I wanted to watch family ties with Michael Keaton and you know him counting his money that was me I was (laughs) into that so so it's you know like they say you know do what you love and and uh, you never have to work a day in your life well that's absolutely not true there's some days that uh, that I hate this business or I hate myself really and the decisions I make in this business I can't blame the business um, but if it's in your blood yeah it, it certainly makes it you know is it, it, this is it's it's always fascinating i mean you get to learn all this cool stuff about electric cars and rocket ships and, and rockets that land themselves and you know different drugs out there for for coronavirus or whatever it might be you're always learning and and that's something that that fascinates me is the ability to always be learning something new and 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 then converting that into a highly competitive uh, aspect, which is trading. And, and you know, for me, it, it began with sports that I was a pretty comp- competitive kid. Um, so I think a, a competitive nature and just intellectual curiosity are two great uh, components of, of what it takes, or at least helps, uh, helps with success somewhere down the road, hopefully. Uh. I'm just going to jump in with a left-wing question. It's it's just that I'm I'm split between between two fields. I'm split between advertising, which I work in now, and it's it's a it's a full team game. There's always ten people working on one pitch, and then I work in and then I'm in trading, which is just me and the computer. Um, I, I just wonder how how do you feel about about just being part of such a single-player game? Do you ever do you ever miss the team aspect? Do you ever miss being part of a wider group, or or are you happy to just roll? is one um good good question you know when, when i was a you know my main sport when i was a kid that i excelled at was swimming and you know i was on a swim team but it was all about the individual base you know what you did you whether i won the blue ribbon and you know competing against the other kids on the block there so for me I've always kind of been more of an individual sport player so i don't miss that um I don't, I don't, the the thing about trading to me is I don't want other opinions. They get in my way. I don't want to know what other people are looking at. I'll follow people on Twitter and, you know, see a ticker come up 
and they might be bullish on it. I'll pull up the chart and go, what the hell is this guy looking at? I'm, I'm not going to say anything on Twitter, but good Lord, this thing is in a downtrend. It's got nothing you know, positive here. Why would somebody be, you know, so, so I look at it and maybe find a ticker that I didn't know, but I'm not going to trade ever based on somebody saying, Hey, I like this stock here or now. And if, if anything, if they say that, I, I kind of distrust them. I think they're, you know, they're up to something. No, so no, but it's, like uh, you're, you're an individual. You just, you're, you're yeah, you've always been a lone wolf anyway. Kind of. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, Kim, you know, it, it's you know that was Jesse Livermore's quote, right? I'm a lone wolf, and I, I, I'm not uh, comparing myself to anything he's done. But um, it, it, to me, it, other opinions they they get uh, they get in my way. I, I view the other opinions as as the price on the other side of my trade. I don't need to know the reasons. I'm in this, um, and people say, well, critically thinking, you should know the other side of the trade. And maybe, maybe not. As long as I can manage my risk and have belief in, in my approach to the market that I'm getting at a good time and I can get out quickly if I'm wrong, I don't need to know that what other people are thinking or what, what the psychology is. No, but it, it's, it's crazy because there's so many different ways that you can make money on a trade and there's so many different strategies that you can make money trading. So like everyone has their own way of making money, but the paradox is that uh, the internet and social media has has opened up the world so everyone can comment and give an opinion. But but the same thing rings true that ninety five percent of traders lose. So I mean, I'll I'll run a live stream and every time someone says uh, this is wrong, get out, get out, get out. I just I'll do the opposite because I think logic says that ninety five percent of traders lose. I know that I'm right. Or I feel that I'm right. I'm I'm just going to ignore what you say. That's actually a great point, Stephen. I never thought about that, you know, <laughs> and I talk about this a lot, you know, one of my dis dislikes of social media is that everyone has a voice. And listen, I believe in the First Amendment more than anyone, but at some point, maybe everyone shouldn't have a voice. But I love you. I love your point that if 90% lose and 90% are yapping on Twitter, there's a good indicator. <laughs> you, you know, what's really interesting to that point, Tim, is that I, 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 uh, maybe a month or two ago, I did one of those Twitter polls and it got over a thousand people to respond. And I think the question was, you know, have you been trading Tesla? Or, and, and, you know, I think 70% of the people said, no, I haven't even been trading Tesla. But I guarantee if you went through the timeline of the thousand people <laughs> I know where that, you're going. That, that said, you know, that's that, or the 700 people that said, no, they haven't traded it. They've probably done five to 10 tweets, you know, per month over the last year, just saying, wow, look at that. Oh my God, it's up so much. Could you imagine? Like there's just so much spectator noise rather than watching the actual play develop on the field. You're lost in the crowd and the crowd can be, you know, just noisy and and useless. It doesn't add value. Uh, I have a question about advice to baby traders like myself and advice to seasoned traders. What would, would, would they be the same or different? Uh, they would be completely different. Uh, and I think that should be, you know, in any field, right? If you are a newer trader, one, you know, do paper trade for a little bit, but ah. not too much. Not too much. <laughs> These two guys are totally on. Ah. Uh, <laughs> no. Okay. Jump right in, Tim. Is no, like- just you know. Here's here's why. I, and and I, I I used to be of the mindset: <laughs> don't paper trade. 
but you're going to make mistakes. You're going to buy when you meant to sell. You're going to sell when you meant to right. buy. And it, it, just to learn the basic mechanics of trading, yeah. baby, you know, baby steps. That's your crawling. You're not even stepping it. But then when you do go to live money, which should be quickly, trade with minuscule money. You know, just if I see guys who sell businesses for five million dollars and they want to open an account and start, you know, swing trading and day trading with five million dollars, and I tell them, listen, wow. put. Put $50,000 into an account and trade 100 shares at a time and scale out 35 Mm -hmm. shares, scale out 70 shares. Get the mechanics of trading down in a way that, yes, you have some money there and you will feel the emotions, but don't leverage those emotions when you're a newer trader because you know when you leverage your emotions – you're going to make mistakes and you're going to make more decisions. So I would say slow down, number one, as slow as you can. Don't try to day trade with real money for, for a while. Try to focus on a swing trade and understand where you have time to be able to sit, think about your trades and plan and execute that plan because the more decisions that you make, the more likely it is that emotions are going to creep into that decision-making process, and that will be your enemy. You'll find yourself you know, buying and selling five times, ten times in the same stock in a day, and I've, I, I know this because I've done it, and I've mm-hmm. made all these mistakes, yeah. so protect yourself from yourself first by just going as slow as possible. And then once you are that, you know, professional who's been doing it for a while, you know, start we I got an email from a subscriber who he said the other day, I've been with you 3 years and I'm canceling my membership because now I feel I have the confidence to make the market my own. I've always said that, you know, make each trade your own. And you know, I might say, "Hey, I like shares of Beyond above 12450 today." But maybe you don't buy it until one twenty-five fifteen because you saw something there. No one should trade exactly the same. I like to lay out potential scenarios and say maybe you don't even like this stock because you don't like their meat, or maybe you don't like whatever the you know the industry or the market because you're afraid of coronavirus. Then don't do it. But again, cash is a position, so um, you know learn to to develop your own personal style. Pick up pieces from from maybe my book, from other books, from people you see on Twitter, but realize that we all have different, you know, objectives in terms of time frames, how much money we can commit, what our patience level is. That's been a big one for me. Is that I don't have the patience, or you know, to to sit there and watch tick after tick and try to scalp ten, fifteen cents uh, on these stocks anymore. So make the trade your own and develop your style is 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 what you're ultimately trying to get to. Yeah. And, and again, you know, back, you know, Stephen and I, Brian, we, you know, we, we give each other a hard time on this podcast, but um, you know, you know, like, like, and we have this paper trading debate a lot. And, you know, my biggest point when I, you know, in my defense to Stephen is, you know, I get people coming to me, they're like, what's a market order and what's a limit order and they're trading real money. And I'm like, God, I'm like, come on. I'm like, at least if you don't know the difference between a market order and a limit order, or a stop, you know, it's like, please be paper trading. Please figure that stuff out with fake money. Then when you at least, you know, got the mechanics down, then yes, I 100% agree with you. Trade 10 shares. I mean, especially right now, that's the beauty with all this commission-free stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're learning, you can trade 10 shares, 
commission free. You know, it's true that changed the game a lot. Yeah, yeah really especially did. for newbies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but just just on the flip side of the coin, uh, just to give the contrast, is I'll also speak to a lot of traders and they'll say, "I've been paper trading for two years and I'm up three hundred thousand dollars." Wow, you've been paper trading strategy for two and can years. I give you some advice? They say, "Can I give you?" They say, "Can I can I give you some advice on your setup?" And I say, "Give me some setup when you've done it with real money and it's worth." Sure. Oh yeah, anyone who's trading for two years doesn't want to trade exactly. avoiding it i mean <laughs> or they're or they're exactly. broke maybe, maybe maybe they got like 10 bucks in their account or something yeah <laughs> all right so brian what's the advice to the seasoned trader well i think i i thought i covered that it came in and i apologize if i didn't explain it properly but the way i view it is again just make the trade your own try to I come up with your own, you know, pick pieces here and there from different people. Maybe you find, you know, yesterday I put a, a stock on Twitter, uh, Night Transportation KNX, and I said, listen, this is a good-looking chart. It's nothing that I'm going to trade, but that doesn't mean it might not make money. I look at it and say it's a good setup, but I look at the stock and realize the stock doesn't suit my personality. Yeah. My personality is not a stock that I think I'm going to have to hold it a month to make 10%. I'm looking at more active stocks and I'm not, you know, saying 10%. Um, and, and then certainly that's, that's a great return, right? I mean, how many years does it take for your money to compound at 10% in a bank account, but know your personality and what suits you. You know, some people are attracted to SPCE, but they have no skills for, for trading a stock like that and have no business being involved in it and they're going to get thrown out of the market very quickly and new traders will do that you know trade a stock like that and you know it, they'll, they'll be gone before they know it they, they won't get the chance to develop their own style because they're always chasing at something that's already moved so so what I'm hearing you say is the concept is not just your personality but also your skill set what you know you're good at how you have played before with ones that have certain there's certain criteria you're looking not just for your temperament but just for your skill yeah the personality of yourself and how it how uh the personality of the stocks that you choose to trade like i'll look at some of these you know little biotech stocks and i used to love to trade them but now you know i i always look at it and say you know look to the left on, on the chart and go back five years and you can see that you know many of these biotechs they had this run from two to ten 15 times in the last five years and they always fail, but they're, but they always find people to chase them. It's, it's the craziest thing ever. I mean, use a, just a little bit of common sense and understand, you know, what the game is that you're playing and, and people a lot of times, you know, with no barrier to access, they don't take the time to get the education and yeah. figure out the market and themselves and how the two of them interact. But I don't know. I don't know if Tim's smiling for that reason. But uh, if but, but my my pretty much 85 percent of my strategy is to short biotechs, it, it, and it's so obvious. Look at the biotechs that fail. Look that have the gap downs. Look at, look at the biotechs that have the reverse splits. Look at the biotechs with uh, huge with with uh, no cash, uh, n- no revenue, no profits, just expenses, operating expenses. I mean, they're, they're very easy to show when you look at the news and, and you see that it's either a study and it's not even phase one or two, or it's phase one or two, but it's not in a hot sector. Um, and, and especially when the high float, low volume, it's, 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 a, it's a gift from the market, I see. 
you, you know what's funny about that is that last year I opened a small account at a firm. Uh, it was actually prior to the free, free commissions. Someone approached me and said, Brian, I'll let you trade for free. I was like, okay, cool. Plus, we got all these great borrows. I'm like, well, I don't really short, but you know what? I see all these people all the time talking about the low, low cap, low float shorts. So I'll do it. I open an account uh, and I close that account because I found myself, I can't trade those stocks. They don't suit my personality short in those <laughs> little guys. I lost money in that account last year in what was a great bull market year. But I, I was trying, I, I knew I was trying something different. So I'm justifying it to myself that I lost money. It was an experiment. It was a small account, but I was trying to go outside of, of what my bread and butter well, is. See, keep in mind, I can, I can give you the, the keys to shorting these low flow small caps. I mean, I can, I will get, I, I will give you, I bet you trade, I know what it is. I'll give you as the soon trade. As you buy it. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All, all, all you do is you just keep adding, you right? Keep adding, <laughs> adding, adding all day long. And then hopefully after you pay your 7x overnight fees, it'll gap down a day or two later and you'll make money. That's all you got. If you have if you have zero risk management and just add higher, it works every with time. With unlimited funds. You with, with unlimited funds. Yes. <laughs> no, but it, it works but it works, but you, you you can you can short these biotechs all day, but you but it's we had another we had another very good trader on. Was it Ozark? Yep. And uh, and he mentioned it's all about taking paper cut losses. Take a paper mm-hmm. cut loss. Take a paper cut loss. Short higher. Take a paper cut loss. You can short these, but you have to have extremely good discipline, which no new trader has, basically, because it's I, a pattern formed generally. I agree, and, and and going back to what I said is, you know, the way my trading has kind of you know started as a swing trader, super active day trader, you know, five up to about five years ago, and now back towards. Uh, swing trading and and I realized that that's probably the biggest thing that I was taking still more of a swing traders approach to ver- what should have been very active day trading in those stocks and I was going outside of what my personality and my time frame was and not adapting properly I know it can be done but um, you know after giving it maybe nine months last year I just said you know what this is costing me money it's costing me attention uh, that I, I'm better off, uh, you know, doing what I know I'm good at. So, uh, you know, I tried it and that's, that's, that's the market. You know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some and, and know when to walk away and say, this just isn't my game. Yeah. That's why. Uh, do, do you happen to know Tom Canfield? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know Tom. It was, it was interesting. You know, we, we were at traders for a cause and, you know, and obviously Tom's been around forever and he had a very similar story to yours. He's like, he's like, listen, I've been trading for, I don't, I think Tom's been trading for 20 plus years. And he's like, I see all these young guys on Twitter shorting these low floats. He's like, I tried it. He's like, I blew up three accounts. He's like, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) (laughs) It only took me one, but you know, um, yeah, no, Tom's great. He's, he's, he's really, he's got a lot of wisdom and insight. Canning four, I think is his uh, Twitter handle. Good guy. So, so Brian, here, one, yeah, Bob's oh, going to say, okay. we'll, we'll kind of take her home here. Go ahead. Okay, Tim. you got it. So, what, yep. One quick quote you just have at the, uh, in the back, collection of quotes, and you said, don't get caught up in meeting daily, weekly, or monthly goals for a certain percentage or dollar amount. Focus on what you can control uh, and how well you can handle varying market conditions. Do you still live true to that? Do you not create for yourself 
daily, weekly, or monthly goals? I don't. You know, my goal each and every day is obviously to make as much money as I can. I don't put a number on that, but okay. it depends on what the market is providing. I mean, if there's certain times the market's just flat and I'll, you know, keep trying banging my head against the wall, you know, trying to buy this, sell that, but nothing follows through. And I end up with a bunch of, you know, small losses. So to me to have a goal that I need to make this much money. And if not, my self worth, you know, feels the pain of, I didn't meet my goal today. That means I have to work twice as hard tomorrow. I've really got to spend all night looking at charts and find that perfect trade for tomorrow that it, the, the psychology works against you. I think if you just focus, as they say, focus on the process. Am I fine? Am I entering the, my stocks on my parameters at, you know, on my timeframes and controlling risk, then, you know, winners don't take care of themselves, but uh, the profits will start to show and, and just focus on doing what you can do and you can control. You can't control what opportunities are going to be there, but you can control how you trade, what is there or decide, you know, today's just not my day. I, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to quit spinning my wheels and trying to make something happen that's just not able to happen. I just want to just quickly jump in. More for you and then, I'll, so, then we'll wrap her up here. So yeah, no, it's just Brian. What you said was so important, and it, it goes back old. It goes back to the ad age old saying: uh, you can't force success. You can't force success in in your career. You can't force success in a new business, and you can't force success in trading. You, you just can't. Uh, every day you wake up, you have to deal and get the most out of the opportunities that life gives on a daily basis. And you do your best and you're satisfied with the fact that you did the best with the, with what you are offered. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. So since this is the steady trade book club, I'll, I'll the last question of the day and then we'll let you go. Do you, uh, do you have any book recommendations that you love for, for the listeners and, and any books that were, you know, that are still on your shelf 10 years later, like, like my copy of technical analysis on multiple time frames is. Yeah. You know, I, I've got a pretty good collection of books. I'm trying to move over towards my bookshelf without unplugging my headphones. <laughs> um, the, you know, one that really, that I, I had read again recently that, that I hadn't read in a while is called the perfect stock. And it's about uh, shares of taser uh, and their epic run. And it's how a 7,000% move was set up, start and finish in astonishing 70, uh, 52 weeks. This book talks about the different participants in Taser, now AXN, AAXN, um, you know, from the shorts getting involved in it, because the stock was up too much and the people who were kind of, you know, running the show behind the scenes and releasing uh, news at strategic times. That's a great book. It's an easy read. It's, you know, like a story, basically. Uh, two of the books that really had a bigger impact on my career, one is how charts can help you in the stock market by William Jyler. And I think it was written in 1961. Oh, wow. Nice. He did a great job, probably the best job of any technical analysis book of, uh, of, of describing the emotions on the chart. Um, And and that was, you know, you, when you read that, you'll see where that was an influence on my work on my book. And, And obviously uh, Stan Weinstein's Secret for Profiting Bull and Bear Markets and understand that, you know, that's, this, that's on my, that one's on my shelf. So, uh, so I, so I think those three would, would be where I would, you know, leave it to, uh, with that question. 
Number one, I love, I always love this, that they're old books. I, as a, you know, again, as a, as a lifelong reader, I love that you you plugged 50 year old books. That's awesome. <laughs> well, it's still, it's still great too. That's I mean, what I'm really, it's, it's, yeah. it's a classic William Jyler. It's, it's really, uh, and a lot of people don't know about it. So, uh, Hopefully it's still available out there. I don't know. Those charts in your book with the emotions of a short seller or a long seller, where it talks about the, the emotions named at every part of the chart. That was, that was so helpful for me to understand kind of the emotional side of, you know, what is going to happen down the road. So that, that was very cool. I forgot to talk about that. So. Yeah. I mean, we all go through those. I've, I've been through every one of those emotions personally. <laughs> I was looking for suicidal, but that word was not used. But I thought that's probably that was like what was it? Despair? What was your word for? Uh, I think despair. Yeah, despair. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would like to like to thank you, Brian. Thank you, Kim, and thank you, Stephen, as well. And to everyone out there listening, um, if you're on YouTube, I've held the book up several times. But if you're on iTunes. You know, I've said this about this book. Again, you know, I, I, I started with the fanboy stuff, and I'll finish with the fanboy stuff. But I tell you, if you're interested in, you know, day trading, swing trading, you know, short-term trading, and you don't buy and read this book, I just, you're, you know, you're just lazy. Sorry, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, it's like 200 pages, okay? And, I mean, it is a great read. And I just, I think it's a must get for anyone out there starting this journey. So um, as always, thank you for listening and be sure, you know, again, if you're on iTunes, you can go over to steadytrade.com. We'll link to Brian's book. We'll lift link to his website. I'll make a point. Um, I'm going to buy these books that he recommended now. So we'll make a point to link to those as well. And, uh, and again, thank you. Thank you again, Brian. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to, to value my work and let other people know about it. I really appreciate the support.